When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Welcome in, folks, to a special trade deadline preview edition of the Winning Plays Podcast. My name is Brian Robb, and uh, Rich Levine and Michael Pien, my usual co-host, will join me later in the week for a trade deadline reaction podcast, which should come out on Friday. But in the meantime, we brought in the big guns for the preview here. Uh, the first, I think, and only multi-appearance guest on the Winning Plays podcast. You know him on Twitter as at Danger Card. Give him a follow there. Ryan Bernadoni, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here for the peak of the NBA calendar. Uh, not the finals, not free agency. The trade deadline is everybody's favorite time of year, and nobody gets tired of it, uh, reading a thousand fake trades. Um, including me, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we'll it's... be bringing things that nobody has thought of or read anywhere before. Uh, only new creative ideas on this podcast. Um, and if you think you've seen them before, you're wrong. Uh, those were those other things where they were stolen from us. Yeah, so I mean, our plan here is we're, we're literally just going to trade fake trades for the next 30 minutes. Just trading off. I'm going to start here with no, we're not going to do that. Um, there has I only been plenty have one. So, you, <laughs> that's, we'll save that for we'll save that for the end. It's the Ryan's perfect trade. We'll we'll finish up with some predictions of what we think is going to happen here. But uh, we're recording this at noontime on Tuesday, uh, a little more than forty eight hours ahead of the deadline. And clearly, you know, depending on when you listen to this, it's a very fluid situation. But we'll hopefully it's not completely irrelevant by the time you're listening. But there is, you know, obviously not much action yet, uh, which is no surprise, but uh, you'd think a lot of things are going to happen here up um, probably closer to Thursday, given the limited sellers that are out there right now, Ryan. And I, I'll say first and foremost here, and you've you've written about this as well. Um, I think we're both in agreement on it. This feels like the, year, the Celtics are going to do something here. I feel confident in saying that because... There are just too many factors, uh, both for the team's current roster structure and how the future's lined for them for them to kind of stand pat here. Would you? What do you think on that? Yeah, I think that uh, it's more likely that they'll make a trade this year than in recent years. And obviously, in recent years, they haven't made any trades. But it's not like they weren't talking about trades, right? Like they right. they discussed things. They ultimately determined not to make anything. But two days before the trade deadline over the last couple of years, if you had set up percent likelihood of the Celtics making a trade uh, other than the Jabari Bird salary dump yeah, that, that I think everybody knew was going to happen for totally different reasons. You know, taking aside that sort of thing, like in terms of real players, if you had set up percent odds that they would make a trade at this point last year, two years ago, three years ago, whatever, I think the percentage is higher this year than it has been in the past. That doesn't necessarily mean that they'll do anything. They're not going to do anything stupid where they just like give value away for players who they could figure out this summer or, or something like that. But uh, yeah, I think we're, we're in agreement that they have 
um, enough pieces to make a move and that in some cases like those they, they have too many pieces going into the future and so um, the sort of opportunity cost of making a trade now is maybe less than it has been at other times just because you can't you know they can petition but I don't think the league will let them have 24 players next year no that's not gonna so, they're not gonna expand <laughs> spring training rosters no yeah uh, it's, you know September call-ups maybe but uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's really what it comes down to, right? Is like you add up the draft picks and the the players who have some of them have options, non guaranteed things like that. Like you can sort of work it out. But um, if you look at the roster and say like there's not anybody who's like a significant negative who you would clearly want to get rid of, who's got like a non guarantee or an option or something, and you look at the draft picks and you put it all together and you're like yeah, that's like it's like 20 players for next year before you try to sign anybody. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it seems likely that they'll try to make a two for one or three for two or something here and um, also maybe clear a roster spot and resolve something in in the buyout market after or bring Tremont Waters up or something like that like there's you know there's enough little moving parts here that that it looks like something will probably happen yeah and I mean I don't know if you saw this last night but Danny H had an extended interview on the pregame show and I mean for him to just flat out say you know when asked about the the trade situation quote I think we're gonna see if there's ways to strengthen the end of our bench we like all of our guys. We do have probably too many real young guys. <laughs> like just, yeah. I mean, which is, I guess it's obvious, but for him just to flat out say that, I think just kind of speaks to where their head is at with it. And um, I guess before we get into, you know, the more intricacies on the trade situation, what is your, what is your state of the roster right now in terms of the bench? We, we know, you know, the, the top five players aren't going anywhere in all likelihood at this point. Um, Daniel Tice, I don't think is going anywhere because he's too valuable. Um, and then beyond that, that's where the uncertainty kind of falls in. So what, what, wh- who do you trust on this team right now? Who are you definitely not moving amongst the young guys and who, who can actually help this team in the playoffs amongst like the, the, the current bench do you feel like? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, a good question, a good, maybe a good place to start, and a little bit of a difficult one to, to answer. Uh, the, one of the other things that Danny said yesterday is that the thing he wants for the trade deadline the most is good health, right? So that's your first thing, is that if they've always got guys who are hurt or maybe playing up a spot or two more than they're supposed to, then uh, they may not look, you know, they may look like they're being exposed in the regular season, and if that's the case, then you would be pretty sure that they would be exposed in the playoffs too. So some of that, um, I think, is, is happening a little bit. Uh, I've, you know, I'm one person who's been clamoring along the way for like Carson Edwards and Tremont's more difficult because of the two-way situation for them to get on the floor a little bit so you can see what they have. When they get put on the floor, they get exposed, right? right. Yesterday when the Hawks well, were listening, good, yeah, the Hawks Tremont. were attacking Tremont. He's was making mistakes on offense, turnovers, things like that. Carson Edwards played, I think, seven minutes in the first half and then didn't really get the same run uh, later. He doesn't look confident enough in, in what he can do on offense. Um, against NBA defenses, maybe that's understandable. But, you know, so you see those guys who may have a future with the team, but that at the moment you completely understand, like, I want them to go out there because I want them to get a chance to develop, but you have to put them on the floor in the regular season knowing that they're going to get attacked. In the playoffs, you just can't put them on the floor at all. So, but that's the end, really end of the bench. And so you don't have to worry about that. I'm pretty much where I think most people are, which is that they need a shooter. They need somebody who can, you know, fill it up a little bit uh, off the bench. So the first five, I think basically everybody trusts whether or not you think Tice should be coming, you know, should be a starting center or a, or a high-level backup center, uh, whatever. I think he's a, a good fit for what they do. Everybody's going to trust Smart 
especially in the playoffs with his history of performing pretty well, again, as long as he can stay healthy. Um, I trust Grant Williams, I think, more than the team does at this point uh, to to sort of not overextend um, what you might want a player to do in, in, even in the playoffs. He's had quite the run, though, here lately, I feel like, where yeah. Brad's trusting him more, too. It seems and I, like. But I think part of that is that, he again, that he doesn't try to do too much. Now, there's going to be playoff matchups where, you, you know, if Giannis is on the floor and, you know, you can't have Grant Williams out there um, either chasing Brooke Lopez five feet behind the line when Lopez is a foot taller than him and can just shoot over him and he can't really do anything against Giannis. So, like... But that's a matchup problem that you're going to have no matter what. If you make it that far, then, yeah, I mean, maybe he can't play either. Um, but I trust him. Cantor, I'm not a big fan of. Again, I think it's matchup specific. That's part of what we're getting into here is, like, the matchups are going to matter a lot here as to who's playable in what series. And I think that's what brings you to, like, they don't even really have a seventh guy who you can definitively say no matter who we're playing, that guy can, can do it, right? Um, and that's a problem. And like, that's the issue, right? So even when Danny says the back of the bench, like to me, it's more that spot. It's like if you can put somebody into that six, seven spot on the rotation and slide a couple of guys back one spot where um, in the right matchup with, you know, against the right bench unit, whatever it may be, Cantor, Rob Williams, Grant Williams, Semi, like you can put them into the right place and not like have know that you have to absolutely rely on them to be playing in every series. And so that's, I think, the sweet spot is like that sixth man seventh man um where the team is lacking and and again it needs to be somebody who can shoot i think <laughs> no i mean that's a, you think you just know like you want the one i mean there's wanamaker ogilvy i've always been they're fine. You know, even last year they're fine and there were guys probably even last year you could argue like you know they weren't didn't get a chance to play but they could have been better complementary players for that team um and now they're kind of in that role and sometimes obviously playing more than that role because of injuries but yeah, you don't want to. You want to have them be an option for Brad Stevens, but you don't want them to have to be like relying on them yep. in a playoff series. And that's that's right now. Stevens is going to have to be relying on at least one of those guys, and that is against a juggernaut like the Bucks, or you know even the Raptors. I'd say that that's a scary tactic when like the seventh guy on those teams are, is so much better than your seventh guy or eighth guy. Yeah, certainly so, if you get caught in that wrong matchup, right? Like again, Cantor's putting up numbers there are matchups where he'll put up numbers even in, in the playoffs but you get that you know you get the the rotation where the the opposing coach recognizes who's on the floor like they do in the playoffs and and put somebody out there in two or three minutes you can lose four or five points and then that might be the decider in the series even right like you have to really watch out for those things when the playoffs come around and so just having guys who are so matchup dependent and not having Ojale maybe you can reliably put on the floor because he's such a low usage player like he's not gonna it's sort of like what I said about Grant Williams like he's not gonna go outside his his range but because Oja like you think can defend most guys who would be out there against him um, maybe that's the one that's like he's not he's not taking a ton of things off the table necessarily where you can get caught in a bad matchup uh, but he's so limited as an offensive player that he really should be the 10th man in a playoff rotation uh, and that's sort of where you are. It's like you you get to that seven point in the rotation, and you're like, okay, Cantor in the right matchup is fine. Grant Williams is fine in a lot of matchups. Robert Williams, again, if he's healthy, maybe in the right place. But all those guys, you just like, none of them are perfect. Um, and and not that you're going to have a perfect seventh man necessarily, but... Um, you want an offensive-minded one. Yeah. Like, those are defensive-minded guys. 
and some, you want yeah, Cantor's some not. of them. <laughs> I mean, a Cantor's not, but like, at least from a, I'm on a wing standpoint. Yeah, and, and Cantor's a whole different can, category. Yeah, and so many people think like, oh, you can go offense, defense, but like there aren't, that's not the way basketball actually works. Like you get offense, defense, possessions, like three of them at the end of the game, maybe. Uh, you, you can't put somebody out there for 30 seconds and then the opposing coach counters with somebody and you're like, oh, bad matchup and you're pulling guys back. Like, right, you can't have both teams every time the ball goes out of bounds trying to like sub back and forth in to like get the exact matchup they want for the fifth guy on the floor for the, for the bench units. Like that's not the way the game actually works. You just have to have guys that you can trust in all of these different matchups and that's where it starts to lack where it's like, yeah, we, we have a lot of guys who, have, who are specialists and specialists don't necessarily play in the, in the playoffs at the level you need them to. I mean, the bottom line from my standpoint with, like, again, just looking at a series against the Bucks hypothetically is, like, you don't want to have to have Grant Williams and Ogilvy out there getting wide open threes all night and be relying yeah. on those guys making threes to win the series. And because the Bucks would love Probably to take that work. bet. Probably not going to work. So, again, that's not to say those guys won't play against the Bucks. It's just a matter of, you know, having the option to go the other way and have more offensive-minded lineup out there without giving up too much away on the other end of the floor. And the C's versatility on the wings and other parts of the lineup gives them, you know, a good chance to be able to do that. So, again, it's a matter of finding the right fit at the right price uh, for that. It may not be... And now we can kind of transition to actually trade possibilities here um, in that role. Um, there's clearly some low cost guys that, again, you don't feel great about, but the C's could easily get for a couple second round picks or a late first. And then there's the, the bigger fish. And I guess we'll start here with, I think the clear cut guy to that could fall into this role would be Bogdan Bogdanovich with the Kings, uh, who's making just eight point, I think 8.5 million a year. Yeah. Yeah. Eight and a half. So again, this is a situation where him, where you you have restricted free agent rights, so you could very well lose him. I I do hear about him, Ryan, that like he wants to start and stuff. I think that's why the Kings kind of put him in the starting five out there, yeah. And benched healed. So, but maybe <laughs> at the same time, if he comes here, you know, he's going to play twenty five minutes a game here. He's going to get a lot of opportunity. Obviously, he won't start, but I think it's different of, for a playoff team as well. Like, it's right, just, exactly. You want, like, he wants to start on the Kings because they're the Kings. They stink. <laughs> would he? Would he have the same problems or publicly or, or undermine anything if it's like that he's starting on the two or three seed and you know, and the guys who he's jacking for position with are all stars or former all stars or guys who have been here a lot longer? Uh, he might be more uh, willing to to take in that six man role. Longer term, that might be an issue. He might, you know, want to sign somewhere else at the end of the season. But I think part of the reason that he's interesting that he's so clearly a good fit for this team right now. You can put him into that, you know, he's six seven. He can handle the ball. He can sure six six, whatever. Uh, he can handle the ball. He can shoot. He's not a great defender, but he's not going to get run over. He doesn't have playoff experience, but as a lot of people have pointed out, he has international experience at a really high level. Good passer. Yeah, he can. He can just sort of do all the things that you need him to do that mean that he won't immediately be wiped off the floor in certain matchups, and then he can shoot the ball. And so he's a good fit for this year. He makes the right amount of money for this year. And then in the future, as you said, he'll be restricted. So I think part of the reason that he's such a good target is that you can see on the, the way that the team is shaping up now is that Hayward is functionally the two-guard, right? You look at who they defend, sometimes it's Tatum who's defending the, the two-guard, really. But Hayward plays more like a two-guard. Like, he's actually, at this point, with 
where his athleticism is post-injury and rehab and everything. Uh, he's not quite as physical and as high a flyer as, you know, as he was in Utah, where he played a lot of, like, true 3-4 sort of thing. And so if Hayward were to, were to, I think, surprise people but opt out and then leave, you would have restricted rights on a player who would sort of naturally fit back into that spot. Uh, so longer term, I think there is also uh, something that makes sense with Bogdanovich. And then the other thing is that if he wants to play somewhere, you know, and there's only a couple of teams out there that have, you know, that have cap space and most of them are relatively bad and he just left the Kings, does he really want to go back into a situation like that? It might also be possible that if you trade for him now, then even if you're going to lose him because you have restricted rights, you can sign and trade him back out and recoup some of that value back. Like Malcolm right. Brogdon, right, got signed and traded for for Indiana's first round pick last summer. Different circumstances, like different factors at play in the free agent market, but it's not impossible to imagine trading a pick for him this year and then getting a future pick back for him back in free agency, which actually might sort of work out for the Celtics anyway, where they have three picks now and probably would rather have two now and two in the future, right? Like, um, So you can actually even see it working out like that, where even if he comes in, fills a role and leaves, it's not entirely fait accompli that you would get nothing back from on the other end. So I think He's the one to me that makes sense, current and future. Now the question is, are the Kings even willing to trade him? Right, they right. That's the biggest starter. They right might now. be looking at it saying they want to trade Buddy Heald this summer because they think they made a mistake on their contract and they want to keep him. Like we don't, we don't have enough information to know. It might be that everybody's calling and they're quoting some crazy, you know, crazy trade price. But in terms of like what his actual value should be, it seems like a price that the Celtics could pay without a ton of downside, because again, they're going to lose some of these assets because there's not enough roster spots. They might be able to get something out in the future. And he's just, to me, like, oh, that naturally fits, right? You, that guy coming off your bench as your sixth or seventh man, perfect, do it. Like, <laughs> that's the one that's, that's for me. I mean, it's not, the Kings are six games out of a playoff spot right they're, now. Yeah, they're done. So, like, they're done. I mean, they should be operating at, in, like, for the future now. Uh, whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Uh but yeah, so it is the 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 price point that the Celtics are willing to go to with a deal like this would be interesting. Um, you'd assume that the Memphis pick would have to be on the table. Um, I don't think so. To, like I think, think so, right away. But that's I think just like, I think I think I think I agree with you. But I think that's that's going to be the King's ask here. And, yeah. I mean, and whether or not the Celtics go there, I think is going to be the question because I, I agree with you. Like I, you, the Celtics were clearly aren't going to start with a first and a second, and then maybe some other type of sweetener. Like if the if the Kings aren't motivated sellers, again, if the Kings are looking at it thinking that they are going to retain him and that he's going to come back and play with Fox and Heald, which I don't, like it just doesn't seem like that'll work for if they have any real aspirations. And there might be another team out there that just offers him a decent amount of money and, and then they have to make a decision about how much you want to be paying your two guards. Uh, because again, Heald is making a lot. Um, and maybe they want to trade yield again. I, I don't really know what's going on there, but like if they're not motivated sellers and they're the way they're operating is not that you have to beat the second best offer, but that you have to match whatever high valuation they put on him, then the Celtics aren't going to trade for him. It's just not the way right. that Ainge operates. Like he doesn't make trades based on how other teams value players. He makes trades based on how he values players and how the organization does. And so that's the question. Do they need to beat the best offer from whoever it might be, right, the Sixers, right? Do they need to beat the Sixers' best offer or do they need to meet the I don't really want to sell him valuation of the Kings and that maybe determines how realistic he is as a target? Yeah, I think you've built that right there because it is. It might be a situation where the Kings are just in a whole different galaxy in terms of their asking price. 
and that's they're not going to come off it. And it's the Kings, so that's probably expected, <laughs> just based on their track record, or just or who knows? Maybe they, maybe Vivek loves uh, Carson Edwards, and is just yeah. like you know. <laughs> maybe, he, how did he watch? Did he watch the tournament? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> did he watch preseason? Was he watching summer league Celtics? Was uh, you know so one of the, you, the things that always is a complication here is. Uh, you know, front office person said to me once before, like the problem that that everybody both knows and then forgets about the about things like the trade deadline is that not all the teams are rational operators, right? Like right. you just have teams. Everybody thinks I'm going to fleece these teams, and then when they're putting together in their mind like their fake trades, they're going. They then try to like revert back to rational valuation. And it's just like we don't know what teams are rational operators here. The Knicks just fired their GM 48 hours before the trade deadline. Like there are teams <laughs> that are not rational operators. And so you really just don't know what they're going to do. And a lot of times those teams are bad. Those are the teams that we assume are sellers. And maybe they're not sellers because they're delusional. Uh, then what do you do? You just have to move on and look for something else. And then everybody complains about why you didn't, why didn't the team make a trade? And you're like, well, half the teams that are sellers are crazy and think they're going to make the playoffs even though they're six games out. Like, <laughs> what do you do? You, you get stuck sometimes, I think. All right. So, like, what the price point to go up to here would be a first and a second. Would you do two late firsts? Uh, maybe. I mean, I think the price is because just you have to get the matching would be something like the Celtics own first. So, right, that's going to be five, six spots ahead of the Milwaukee pick. Right. Um, yes, you'll have to formally they'll have to protect it for because in case there's some like crazy thing that happens. But the picks would convey this year, call it 24, 25, something like that. Uh, the Brooklyn pick, which looks like it's going to be like right around 45, which is sort of the threshold a lot of people set for this pick has some amount of value. So you get that second round pick. And then one of the players off the roster beyond what you just, you know, beyond Cantor, Poiré or something like that. And the one that you, that you said, I think, is right, which would be Carson Edwards, who 32nd pick not that long ago, good preseason, good summer league, lighten up the G League. Uh, does anybody look at that and think that he has second round pick value? I think they should. So that's basically a first and two seconds. And then you have to match contracts. So if that's Cantor... Cantor may have flippable value as well to them, a second right. round pick there. Like they could actually get like a first and three seconds out of it or something like that, functionally, if you count Edwards that way, which is about what I think like a good other team should not be beating this offer, trade offer would be. Right. And because the teams that probably have the most incentive to do so just don't have the assets to do it, like the Lakers, for instance. Um, yeah. They just don't have the draft capital. Um, and the other. You could even pull this off without Cantor if you do some, you know, stacking with another trade. Like if you move Poirier and Edwards for a guy making $5 million or $6 million, and then you can flip that with the draft compensation to the Kings. There are ways to kind of get around this if you do want to keep Cantor. Cantor makes it easier just to make it straightforward. And anytime you involve more teams, you have to probably give up another, you know, uh, yeah. late second round pick or something like that to make it worth their while but um everybody's but sometimes that's worth it trades right now like everybody's obsessed with that step up trade I, I don't know who why i think john hollinger wrote about it in something and then it became like everybody's been talking about it i just wrote like, about it i think it's important i think it's yeah no it's fine the now. one that gets me is that at some point some team is going to do this or maybe it'll take trying to do it like with two steps and the league is going to step in in the middle of the trade and say oh that's that's cap circumvention you can't do that that's not the intention of what the non-aggregation rule is meant to be right. i think it would take a two-step trade for it to do it but i'm waiting for the hilarious thing of when probably daryl morey 
trying to do a two-step trade gets clipped and stuck with the player in the middle. <laughs> and then they say, well, no, the first trade was legal. You made that. You did the trade call. That trade is done. It's now and, cap circumvention if you try to do the second or third trade and then get stuck halfway through it. And then there's nothing they can do because it, right. it really is cap circumvention. Like, that's pretty clearly what's yeah. happening when they're doing that. But um, He's 100% doing the back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. That's what I'm waiting for. for. Right. And just to get caught in the middle and be like, oh, well... Now we still have Nene, <laughs> but also we've got, like, Andre Roberson? What just <laughs> happened? <laughs> well, that's my hope. Yeah. But the Celtics can do the simpler, a simpler, just the back-to-back. Like, they're not going to stop that. And that's... Somebody did it last year, and it went through fine. Like, there, there's yeah. precedence that that's fine, even if you do it, like, literally one day after the other. But to right. me, it is actually cap circumvention, oh, yeah. and that at some point the league could step in. Really, what they'll do is they'll tr- they'll change the rules in, you know, in the next round of it's not really part of the cba it's it's the trade rules are different but they'll well i guess that maybe is um anyway they'll tr- they'll change it at some point where there's a 30-day waiting period for aggregation instead of you know whatever but um at the moment you can you can try to pull those things but i don't know ne- necessarily know that you have to do that especially for like hypothetical fake stuff right you just say like Cantor edwards and the you know the celtics pick and and the nets pick and that's basically the value that you're willing to give up and then you'd have to replace Cantor with some other, you know, center who's above six foot eight. Uh, Alex Len. Yeah, he makes money, uh, so it makes you kind of have to maybe three team it in there. Like, there's stuff that you can do to work it out. Uh, but a lot of the centers that are out there, a lot of the centers that people target are sort of have the same. Don't really solve the problem of what you have if you lose Cantor. If what you think you have with Cantor is not post deep like post offense it's like i have somebody big enough to stand behind other big centers and in, in the post and not get if they don't have to def, you know defend the line or something like that like you know people are like oh christian wood and you're like christian wood's like 190 pounds like, I, don't know, I don't know how much of a replacement he is there but yeah like an alex len something like that that you can get out there and you'd probably have to do that but you're getting a, we're getting a little deep on like the yeah indeed that's third but step it is, in a hypothetical but, but it is for like the canner situation you do have to with rob williams's health which I don't think they can count on. They're optimistic about, like, you're going to get him back at some point. But I don't think, you know, I think Danny Inch has hopefully learned a lesson here in terms of center's health at the trade deadline and what to rely on over the years. And you you clearly have to replace Cantor with someone just, like, who gives you, you know, Craig Monroe's available, right? <laughs> Third straight year. <laughs> keep the keep the streak going. Um, and I wonder, I mean, like, the other guy that would be interesting on just the big man front for me, if they do anything there, if Cantor does move, would be, like, Pirtle in San Antonio. They're making uh, a run at the playoffs. And they, they are. He's so a, I don't and think... now he's playing with Aldridge a lot, so I don't... He went on the floor without his either. jersey last night. Did you see that? Did he, he what? He oh, yeah, he tried to go on without his yeah. jersey? Yeah. Yeah, AJ, yeah, that was great. And then Pops was asked about it after the game and got really pissed off that <laughs> someone asked him about it. It was great. That's not a good team to make that mistake on. No. Um, no, he was just like, he was mad at the reporter for bringing it up in terms yeah, of like... He's yeah. mad at the reporter <laughs> for everything. Like, the reporter's like, asking him like anything and he's mad at them, so it's fine. Yes. Uh, I can attest to that. Um, all right, so let's just talk about shooters then here. Uh, say the Kings are... Bogdanovich is... They're asking for the Memphis pick and Danny doesn't want to do that. Yeah. So let's start... Uh, well, I guess... Luke the only Kennard, one like him is Kennard, right? Who's exactly. a very Ken- similar player. Similar player has the appeal of having another year on his rookie deal. Yeah. Um, but huge caveat, has missed the last 23 games with mm-hmm. knee tendonitis and is 
not expected back for at least another couple weeks. Yeah, I don't uh, think he has quite the... Again, some of this is international play, but I don't know if he has quite the track record where I would trust him as much yet. I don't think he's... I think that, like, statistically, they are very similar players, Bogdanovich and, and Kennard. I would think... I think that Bogdanovich is a better player. Um, I understand people who say, why would you do that when you can get Kennard again for the extra year and he's cheaper? But yeah, the health questions, I am not 100% sure about his reliability come playoff time quite yet. Uh, so I have some questions there, but you might end up in the same spot as what I was talking about before, where like you slot him in as your seventh man and you're like, I don't exactly trust my seventh man still. But uh, I, statistically, I get it. They're very similar players and he can and he can shoot. But yeah, I mean, it's, the Celtics have not had great luck with health this year and trying to get a team together. So I'm not sure how appealing that would be yeah it'd be a roll of the dice for sure but in terms of keeping the core together through yep. next season that's something that would you know that could i i would think long and hard i mean if i like his medicals i would think long and hard about putting you know the memphis pick there um i probably wouldn't do it but i would maybe do uh the Celtics first this year and a future first down the line i'm not um, doing that I'm not. I mean, again, like, I just, I think the trade, if you put the same value on Kennard and Bogdanovich saying basically your questions about his health this year, questions about how much exactly you trust him, but you get the extra year, things like that. Like, I'm about in the same place on those players where I'm like, all right, the Celtics own pick this year. You can have this second round pick from Brooklyn. You've got to be a player involved somewhere in here. You know, Carson Edwards and Javante Green. Like, that's, that's, I think, good enough for... (laughs) For when I, I'm not too high on it, but part of this is a conversation that that we've had and I've had with other people. Where like, if you really think that this team is a, a shooter away from being a title contender, then that might you know that has to right. change your your calculus a little bit. And because I'm not quite there, I'm probably lower on a lot of these trades. You're getting than, closer though. Than people are not really. <laughs> I just right like it. Maybe it's the year. Maybe it's such a weird year where everybody's in transition, other than the Bucks who are dominant. Um, where a team that looks like the Celtics comes in and it's one of those years where a team like this gets the title. But uh, even if it is a team like the Celtics this year, they could say oh, there's like eight teams that are like the Celtics this year. So uh, the odds aren't aren't great. I'm still about where I have always been. But it's nice that they're playing better. You know, I'd rather be talking about that when they're one seven out of eight than lost three in a row. But still not sure uh, how likely they are to get past Milwaukee. Best net rating in the last eight games? It's eight games. <laughs> they still don't have a top ten. Top Ten player, I don't think so. Not a lot of not a lot of champions without a top ten player. No, It'll, it's it's true, it's true. Uh, all right, so let's uh, so Kennard. I think Kennard and Bogdanovich are the two like real deal guys in terms of you would trust to have be your seventh man if they're healthy. Beyond that, it's not a lot. Uh, the shooting front, it's it's you're you're going like you're looking at fringe guys. You're looking at. These aren't, like, comfortable seventh guys. They're going to play in the regular season. They're going to play more than, you know, Wanamaker or, you know, Ojale if you want the offensive-minded guy, but they're still, like, flawed. So I'll let's do, like, some speed round here. I have a bunch of names that I'll throw at you that fit price range and price point, and um, we can spend a couple seconds on each one, or you can just pick out the ones you would actually think might have some, some value there in terms of not having to go up much and maybe better than anticipated. Um, we have the Golden State guys, Alec Burks, Glenn Robinson, Onman deal, so you don't have to, the matching is very easy. You're not going to have to give up more than, I mean, two second-round yeah. picks, I'd say, for either of them. 
Um, one. one is probably <laughs> enough. Burks uh, one, GR three, maybe two. I don't know. Right, but does both of them are putting up big numbers for one of the worst teams in the league? Um, they're obviously gonna. They're flawed players. They're men guys for a reason, but um, are you either yeah. of those guys? Like, I mean, they're both fine, one? especially if you make another trade. Like, let's say you make a two-for-one trade before that, and then you have an empty roster spot. That's the kind of thing that's like, oh, okay, the minimum exception, you second-round pick hanging around, something like that. Like, uh, that, that's fine. I don't think either – they're not needle movers, right? Like, there's a reason that no. they're in this class. The only one – well, I mean, you can go through your list. There's, oh, no, I want to – the yeah, elites like, is the other one that's like yeah, Blake, maybe he's a little bit more than most of the other guys in this group, but um, can you play defense in the playoffs though? Yeah, I mean probably. I not. Worry about they, that. Like I'd, I'd rather get like honestly, I would rather have a. I mean, like yeah, the stretch big. The you have, Belitza. You have. I mean, Sarge has had a down year. Who knows what his availability is? Um, you're not giving yeah. up much for him. Um, I think they all go in the same basket of like Bertans, obviously. Probably not going anywhere. Bertans, I don't think is going. Anywhere. Bertans is going to get paid too much next year. Like you're, you really are renting him. Right. Uh, I, I think they all end up in the same basket with the other players that we mentioned before, where it's like in the right matchup. If you can get the right matchup, then you'd be pretty happy. But in the wrong matchup, like it could go south pretty fast. And that's what where you are with Bielitsa. It's like a forty percent three point shooter who's tall would make a lot of sense on on offense. Um, but there are some matchups where it may not may not go quite as well. Uh, but you know that's he's the one guy who I think is probably just better in a vacuum than some than some of these other guys. Uh, although I don't know, I'll listen to listen to the other right, ones you got right, to throw so out there, and we'll I'll see. I'll focus on some guards here. Um, <laughs> San Antonio has a bazillion guards. <laughs> you love the San Antonio trades. I just I just think it like what do you, so Bryn Forbes makes two point eight. I don't love Bryn Forbes, but he makes two point eight million dollars. He's going to be restricted free agent. The Spurs clearly aren't going to keep him, I feel like, at this point. So, why, like, I maybe not a, f- I probably wouldn't do the Milwaukee pick for him, even though that's what they'd ask for, but I'd do two seconds for him as a a guy who is a good shooter and is, you know, workable as a yeah. seventh man in some situations. I don't know if he's workable as a seventh man. Like, who's he playing? I mean, he's, he's so, he's small. He's right? small. He's Carson Edwards small. Like, the, the problems that Carson Edwards have, I... Has I think he ultimately has too. He's got a little bit more experience, which is you know obviously nice. That so he won't maybe uh, get caught in the bright lights like it seems like Edwards does at some point. But like he makes shots. (laughs) Yeah, I mean I think if you played Carson Edwards enough, he'd probably make shots too. Uh, What about Derek? I mean like Derek White, Derek White's better, but they're not going to trade on like. Patty Mills makes money, right? So that's the right. challenge there. That's a challenge. Uh, Dejounte is extended. He's not going to get traded yeah, he's anyway. Not he's not, but he's basically untradeable right now because the contract stuff. I mean, Derek White, great, but are they going to? Like, I don't. It doesn't seem like they're going to trade him. Uh, maybe if the trade deadline was a few weeks earlier or a few weeks later. Right now, they seem to be making a run at the eighth seed as well, and they've made the playoffs every year since the league was formed. So uh, it seems like they would like to continue doing that. Uh, I don't know if. That's the same problem with Pirtle, right? I said the same thing. Like, it, it just doesn't seem like they're sellers. If they were trading any of these guys, they would probably be looking to upgrade for Nat, like for the current team and be even more buyers. But, um, yeah. Zach I mean, Lowe had Pirtle and his guys to watch, though. That, that, makes, that yeah. makes me optimistic that, I mean, Popovich wants to make the playoffs, but it's also a situation where, you know, you don't tear your team apart, but you don't. 
Yeah, you, but I mean, the guys you can get here. are like I said. It's like the Bryn Forbes is like. I don't. I don't know if he makes a difference. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he would play when playoffs come around. Like I just don't think he'd be on the floor either. Yeah, I mean, you probably when that's the problem with like a lot of these guys. It's just yep. Though you're looking for the, it's a situational player. And um, there is some value even in pre-playoffs, right? Like one of the things that's happened is that we, there's now sort of a, a line developing between two, three, four, and five, six in the in sure. the East seedings. And so a guy who wins you one more game in the regular season might be the guy that puts you into the two or three seed. And that might be, you know, that might, that might be That's the 76ers huge. in the first be. round, but it might be the Pacers or the Nets and then, and then getting, you know, having Toronto have to, have to deal with the 76ers and then getting that matchup in the second round. And, right, like it, it could make a big difference in how far you go even in a regular season win. So it's not entirely about playoff stuff. Right. And if you're talking about things on the fringes where you do some other move, and again, just like I said with the Golden State guys, you have an empty roster spot and a second round pick hanging there, like and you can get Bryn Forbes, then sure, fine. I, I'm, like, if it came across the line at, you know, 255 on deadline day, I'm not going to be like, what are they doing, trading a future second-round pick for Bryn Forbes? Like, it's fine. I don't know how much it makes a difference otherwise. So who's the who's the fringe guy you'd be excited about? There aren't any, right? Because there's the self- I don't no, think that... No, I, that's not, a, I don't want an answer. Who's, who's I don't, the underrated I'm never player? I'm excited about anybody. <laughs> I know. <laughs> who, my, who would be like, oh, that's, you know... That could help. <sighs> like, who? I mean, I'll, here's more names. Um, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway. Um, both make money. Malik, both make money, so that, that's a little tougher to do. So you probably, you'd have to maybe stack to either one of those. Um, Malik Beasley's been out there forever. Yeah. Reggie Bullock. Uh, Denzel Valentine. I'll tell you my guy who I, I always see play and think, like, wow, he could be okay on a decent team. Um, as a selective shooter, uh, Dotson with the Knicks just seems like again yeah, he's a flawed that player. Might be selection of the games that we've played. I mean, the I one mean, that I think makes more sense is the one that we've already one that that's already hit, and that's and that's Burks from from Golden State, who I yeah. think has the size and the sort of type of game that might work off the bench and um, get to the line too. Yeah, and he's got a little pre-injuries. He's had a lot of injuries in the recently, but before that, he actually was like a you know a a good starting player right. uh, at one point in the past. Like, I think there's something there. And the fact that it, that he is literally a minimum contractor, you can just take uh, into minimum exception and he's not going to have, you know, a particularly high, high price attached to him with where golden state are and where they're hoping to go in the future. Like that's the one of all these guys who I'm like, all right, I can see where he would fit in. Maybe he would play, maybe he'd be, you know, there are guys who come out of this group and then they actually do make difference in the playoffs that you, you know, somebody gets picked up and you think that it's a salary dump or something. And then they're, they're playing the Celtics have a history with that too of guys who who meet that criteria and he's the one who sort of to me stands out as like all right I could I could see the fit um and and I could see them actually you know putting together the pieces to make that trade because it would be so simple to do I forgot the one Spurs player that I've always had a soft spot in my heart for I can't believe I forgot him LaMarcus Aldridge (laughs) yeah right DeMar DeRozan uh Bellinelli yeah all right (laughs) (laughs) I know he's a couple years, but no, as a selective, yeah, he's, but for regular Drop season purposes, for regular season shooter specialist, he obviously would get completely exposed in the playoffs against most defense or most. Yeah. Regular know. season, you put him but next to Marcus season, Smart in the backcourt on right, against bench units like, and he can shoot he the ball can, and open things up. Right. That's fine. Which is for a second round pick. Like, yeah. Uh, if like Burks isn't available, I would have no problems with like that. Yeah. All these guys, again, same sort of, 
zone where it's like if they make that move i'll be like oh okay that that's fine maybe that and it, it only it might really only matter that they steal one game in the in the regular season right because marco bellinelli goes four for six from three and that's the difference between you know making the conference finals and having a really tough first rounder in the four five matchup right like that that really could be a, be a huge decider in, in how the season ends up looking. So I'm not against making these moves. It's just I think all a lot of these guys are basically similar. And whoever you can get like for the Nets pick and the Celtics future second round pick is the one that you end up taking. Not the net, yeah the Nets second round pick and the Celtics future second round. Like whoever that's the price for, you just like you know you call all the teams and you say here's my best offer and hopefully one of them says yes and then you just do it. Do you – here's a scenario, or here's a, a wild card. What if what if Joe Harris is on the table? If the Nets were like <laughs> – he's, he's not part of the inner circle. Right? He's not part uh, of the inner circle. The Brooklyn is, you know, Kyrie's shirt again. They – I mean, who in the hell knows what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> – I don't know what they would. It's really hard to to figure out what they're what they're doing. I agree with, especially with Kyrie now. They what they've lost like they've been like four and thirteen recently, and they are still in the exact same spot in the playoffs. Uh, and it's just hard to hard to work out what the what the value would be even there. I mean, obviously he would be a very good fit. Um, I but I, I can't sort of conceive of what I mean, the price. That's would a be. rental because you're he's going to command a lot. I feel like in the off season and you're again unless Hayward is is gone you're Yeah, not he's unrestricted, right? So it's he's unrestricted. Like, yeah. You have, so you very very you're better off doing Bogdanovich there probably. It's just the prices might be less for Harris. Yeah. I don't know if it would be less. That's the thing. Like I really don't know. It's hard to hard to Yeah, cuz like they, the they can't really be. replace him either cuz they're not going to have cap room with the Nets I'm saying so like yeah, and you need, would think they need shooting. You would think a shooter between Kyrie and and KD would make sense right considering how you know the offense that they can create for others uh even if they don't want to be creating it for others um but uh i don't know that seems yeah. seems unlikely that he would go if again if they put him on the table like i, I put him in that bogdanovich category maybe above canard sort of in that same area of like yeah no i'd be interested um even with him being being a rental uh but and all, all these again the they are a rental Unless Gordon Hayward opts out and leaves, in which case you would have at least bought his bird rights and maybe he's sort of pivots into becoming part of the future, like uh, how they had to pivot through some things last year. Right. Uh, I love how we were 40 minutes in here. We still haven't talked about Capella, really. Or yeah, Covington. I mean, we can if you want. <laughs> I don't really. I mean, I just don't think it's. I just don't think it's happening. Um, for. Uh, there is a scenario where the right offer would be on the table to do it, like if the price is right. I just don't think that price is would the Browns would accept, accept that price. And yeah, then, I agree. Same with Covington. Like I don't know. Ever since that series two years ago, he looked awful in the playoffs. He looked <laughs> like he looked. People were like, "Oh, this is a all defense guy." He got smoked that whole series and couldn't hit a shot from. He's three. the anti Damian Dotson. Um, it, it, it was yeah. I mean, it was. It was kind of shocking. Like, wow, this guy just looks completely overmatched. And now he had knee surgery last year too. So, and he's I, old because he came into the league so late, right. and he had he had a late start after going through the G League and being stuck on the process sixers and all that. He's not not a young player. The contract is good. I sort of made this comment before that the you're he's like Jay Crowder when Jay Crowder's contract was always what you were trying to Ooh, trade good for. Good comparison. 
you're actually trying, it's not that you're, and Covington's a good player, Crowder was a good player, they're both fine players to have in your starting five even, uh, but like, the reason that they have the value that they have is because they have a long contract that's not a good deal, right? Uh, my theory with him is that uh, he has become overrated defensively, but that he and Jason Tatum are very similar defenders. And so what this means is that Tatum is on like an earlier point in the curve of how overrated or underrated they are, where he's still on the underrated part where Covington <laughs> was like five years ago. But it means that five years from now, Tatum will become be an overrated defender. Right, that's fair. Because of the things he can't quite... This is my theory of, of Jason Tatum defense. Jason Tatum stock. The Robert Covington corollary. Um, yeah, I mean, the way that you would get Capella to me is if Minnesota became really serious or you know almost desperate to, to trade Covington for some reason there's no reason for them to do that but if that were the case uh and basically like the Celtics own first and Milwaukee's first became enough to get him and so then Houston became really interested in that and you could that sort of step up kind of trade that we were talking about before right where it's like oh, okay Cantor and something Cantor and and Edwards gets you Andre Roberson and then you take Roberson and you send him to Houston for Capella, and then they flip that around and trade that out to to uh, to Minnesota to get Covington, and then they're looking for a center. Like you can come up with ways to do it, but they all are based on some other third team getting desperate to trade a wing that doesn't seem likely to happen because uh, right. otherwise, I think what Houston is looking for will be more direct from the team that they potentially trade with. And then at that point, it's like the Celtics are like that; they're not really a good match anymore. Plus, we have Tice and possibly Robert Williams. And yeah, like I just. For a big picture perspective, I'm not sure the Celtics ever want to really invest serious money into the center spot going forward. Yeah, it's a question that I've asked is that it's it, in part when I w- had been talking a couple of weeks ago and sort of, you know, putting out the theoreticals about Gordon Hayward possibly uh, being traded, that that was one of the things you had to consider at that point is like, if you don't care about how much money you're spending on center, then you don't have to be as worried about Hayward's future and what he's going to get paid because you can always just keep skimping at center and just finding guys who take up, you know, doing your entire center rotation on 10% of the cap or, you know, 8% of your budget, whatever it might be. If you're always doing that, then you have less worry about having three high-priced wings because you don't have a high-priced center, right? And not that Capella is particularly high-priced in the, the sort of in the long run, but he makes more than the Celtics' entire center rotation now and the Celtics have the third or what their third in offense and fifth in defense or third right. in defense. Like they're not having problems at that position right now, even with Robert Williams out, who might just be, you know, most of what Clint Capella is plus the ability to pass the ball and cheap. <laughs> like it, it doesn't, I don't think Capella's a bad player. I think it's a good contract. I just don't know if it's a good fit. And then there's also the other part of it where you would have to integrate Capella into this offense and integrating a center who's purely pick and roll, doesn't pass, doesn't shoot. I don't know, like, and is doing, doing that mid season actually going to work? And as a heel injury, that is, yeah, maybe con- for like any time, Ray, for the rest of the year, which is like Capella, to all your points on top of it, he just, it, that feels like a, a very much a win now move in terms of, and if you're doing a win now move for a guy who has like a bad heel, I, See, think I don't that's think just, it is. I think it's the opposite. I don't think that's a win now move. I think that's actually a future move because he has you know, two, three years from now, he's still on a contract that's going to look pretty good if he's healthy and playing well. And I think that it actually potentially would hurt them this year. Now, if you include Tice, I think it would potentially hurt them. If it was yeah, for if it's Cantor. Cantor and other stuff, then, I wouldn't do it for Tice. then it's fine. Uh, because I just think the integration of him into an offense that hasn't, like, really 
Brad Stevens' offense, when have we ever had a player who could not pop behind the three-point line at all because he couldn't even pass the ball if he caught it there? Like, Cantor can at least, like, if he pops out to 18 feet, like, he can do certain things after he catches the ball, even if they're not, like, particularly good. Um, if you, like, Capella, can, Capella has to roll every single time or he has no other value, the Celtics don't have an offense that particularly plays that way and have nobody who can throw an accurate lob. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know what the what the point of that is. Tatum last night was an all-timer, That was the worst. The that was, that was... The, somebody sent tweeted back to me that was like, that's the worst lob I've seen since Rogier was here. And I was like, that's how bad we are at lob throwing. That that's one of the worst lobs I've ever seen. And he's right. One year ago, there was probably a worse lob. Like it yeah. has only been a half a season since we've seen lobs that bad. And it was one of the worst lobs that you'll be able to see anybody this year. We just can't, for some reason, we have nobody who can throw them. Uh, but I do think that longer term, there actually could be some value in there in the same way that like, if you could trade a first for Bogdanovich and then use his restricted rights to get a future first trading him out, that you might be able to bring Capella in now and then basically take assets that you are going to burn at the end of this year and then recoup them two years down the line by retrading him. Like, that almost makes like more sense as a way to roll your asset value forward. Particularly, again, if it was Cantor and not Tice that you were trying to replace in your rotation. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think so, yeah. that in the current, trying to integrate a player like that into this offense with 30 games to go in this year, when, you're, when you know what you're doing is actually working pretty well, is, is not necessarily a win-now move. It might backfire. Whereas like just adding a shooter, you can, they get plenty of shots. Like they, they don't have a problem creating good shots. They have a problem making them. <laughs> so if you can just get a guy who can shoot the ball, that probably works a lot easier. Yeah. No, I, I, that makes sense. I guess from my standpoint, from the win now perspective, and you're dead on in terms of just like, it's such a unique piece in terms of what he can do or what he can't do, obviously in an offense. I see it from a, a future perspective, more of being like, well, if you bring him in, then keeping Hayward around beyond next season becomes very, very hard financially. I think keeping him around beyond next season becomes very hard financially anyway. Either way, but it like that clinches it. Well, that, yeah, like I mean, that, like that, like be like that, that kind of shuts the door on it. You can, you could conceivably make it work now with, if Hayward is, again, you don't know what the market is. There's not a lot of teams out there, but it only takes one team. And that's a whole different, you know, we could, we'll talk about that. I'm sure down the line in, you know, May and June when this is all going to come to a head. But bringing Capella now pretty much like says, okay, yeah, okay, we're, I don't think we're, so. You're, you're, you're gone. But so, see, that's where I'm different is that I think that the player who you could trade when that crunch comes is just Capella again. That's where I'm sort of going. I'm like, this could be, you could think of this as a way to roll assets forward is that when you get to that crunch and Tatum's extension kicks in and Hayward's either opted out and come back or he's on a new contract or whatever, maybe if that happens, then you trade Capella again. But I worry about the, the value of the centers around the league. I mean, like that contract looks good now, and then it's going to be like a meh. Yeah, I mean, the cap's going to keep going up, and his contract doesn't go up all that much, right? I mean, it's I think it tops out at yeah, like I mean, it's never going to be like terrible. It's, it's normal starter contract money, and when he's got two years left or a year left, like I don't think it's going to be. And it also is right. that salary that if he, you know, you wouldn't be able to use it to to acquire a new salary if the problem is that you have too much salary and Gordon Hayward's back, obviously, but. It could also be that if Hayward were to just leave, then it would be the salary that you could trade to acquire another wing who makes $25 million, right? Like, there are reasons to think that you could work through that in the future. But I just think that the whole whole picture, again, like, if you could get him cheap, 
if it's what you're doing is you're saying we're turning Ennis Cantor into Clint Capella or Ennis Cantor and Carson Edwards and a couple of draft picks that we're going to burn anyway into Clint Capella and we're going to try this for a year or two and if it doesn't work or the salaries stack up too much we'll find a way to trade them on and hopefully get new value back like I get that proposition I just don't think that's the price and if you right. go above that in price then it's just like uh, now I don't really have that much interest in this anymore right and that's that's what we're going to find out but I imagine the way Houston operates they're not going to they're not going to settle for too late for a strong picks there. My theory uh, of lowballing everybody might lead to no trades, but also appears to be what Danny Ainge believes at the trade deadline. So we'll see if that's how things play out. Right. Until he gets squeezed and has to draft and stash two yeah. more guys. So you draft and stash um, a couple guys and you stick to your guns and they're still a good team. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap here. I'm going to run through other borderline stretch big sky really quick and then we'll give a quick predictions. Um, Really bargain basement shopping here for a stretch big. If uh, you have Hernan Gomez in Denver, Muscala in OKC, I don't think Markeith Morris is going to be welcome after, you know, just in terms of how this team likes to play. Crowder doesn't hit enough threes anymore, I feel like, to bring him in. Damari Carroll can't get on the floor, even though the Spurs would probably love to get rid of him. So, a. it, the stretch big options are like very very even the like borderline guys there's really not even like i don't even know if i want to give up a second round pick for any of those guys to be honest yeah i'm not wild about any of those i mean you get right it's the the ones that we've talked about the elite so who's more you know costs a little bit more maybe christian wood has hit some threes now and, and things like that. like there's some players out there but um you know hernan gomez is a twitter and podcast uh popular player but Nobody actually seems to right. like him. Like playing, he can't play at Denver. Why is he going to play here? In the play? yeah. Um, the other question is, do we actually really want to play a stretch four? Um, yeah. Maybe it's just I mean, not part not. of what we want to do. It's Jaylen's just a shooter. Doing, like you just want a yeah. shooter, which can yeah. just as well be a guard. Obviously. Yeah, Jalen's doing well defending them, and and I think you would end up in that place taking minutes away from Grant Williams, who while he can't, you know, he's really struggling to shoot again, is to me pretty clearly a positive player and a player who you. You can envision more matchups where he can do what he does positively on the floor. So I don't know if making a trade like that, basically just to take minutes away from Grant Williams, would really benefit very much. So yeah, I'm not not really yeah. interested in any of those. No, you're right. I mean, it's it's the same, like where's your where are your weak rookies right now or rookies that aren't able to help? It's it's Edwards and it's or yeah. Langford's not even getting chances now, but you'd think that he's still Langford is Langford has always been a player who I'm like, well, you can't if he can't play now, that's fine. But like they. They picked him for two years from now, right. when, again, you don't know where, where Gordon Hayward's situation is going to be. Uh, and the little tiny flashes we've seen of him all are sort of like, oh, yeah, no, that player would make a lot of sense on this team. And I think that to trade him would be trading him at, like, an absolute low point when there's yeah, a clear can't. path for him to be part of the team in the future and to actually be a helpful part of what the team needs. Right. And it would just be, like, dumping him in for salary on something. or like That would be, be wild. It seems that'd be an absolutely that wild doesn't, wouldn't make any sense to me to, to move him at the moment. No. You, you don't. Again, like you said, it's just not. He's he's on the Avery Bradley plan. It's Unless like, there's like if there's a team out there who values him, right? If right, if you get value if there's for a team him, that values him as the tenth pick in the draft or something, still, it's the thing of like, oh, people are throwing him in there because he's not playing. It's like, well, that's that's why you don't trade him because you'd be trading him at his absolute low ebb of his value when you've seen like there's a clear path. So he's the one on the of all those young guys um, who haven't really produced much. Or n- they're not necessarily young, but uh, you know, n- inexperienced guys. Where it's like that one doesn't make any sense. Like, 
they, they picked him 14 for a reason over some other guys who have been pretty good. And you've got to give him a chance to actually step in and, and do what they've envisioned for him, I think. Um, right. So, I mean, he and Grant Williams feel like the two safe rookies. Um, you know, Carson Edwards, Poirier, and then, you know, Javante Green obviously is expendable if, if another, if the money is needed, but he still serves a purpose and is a good, you know, 13th, 14th guy to have on a roster and is under control next year too. So, um, they're not going to just look to get rid of him if they don't need to. Uh, all right. So prediction time to wrap up here. How many over under on trades is, or let's say roster movement, because that will factor in buyouts and other things like that. Uh, Changes on the roster, 1.5, over, under? Uh, Over. I think there's two. Mm. I think probably two. I'm with you. I think you're going to see two new players here. uh, Likely taking the spots of Poirier and Edwards would be my guess. Um, And one might come via the buyout route. But I think we're seeing some you know minor tweaking and everyone else stays in place but you have more options for brad stevens to work with and less draft picks to use but that's fine because you're not going to you're not going to be able to use them all anyway yep i think that's where we start and end it's pretty much at the same place where it makes sense i'm on the record of saying there's a 49 percent chance of them making a trade so that i can have it both ways mm. so i'm really going outside that here saying that i think they do make a move but so you're up to 51 uh, this is this is it. This got is the movement. big shift. We've got Two movement. <laughs> a move that clears a roster spot, and then a second move that refills it in some manner. Um, and yes, they move at least one, probably two picks from the four that they have this year. Give me players. That I don't know. I don't know enough about the other teams. I, there's nobody. I don't know. <laughs> one of the shooters. Shooter Out not first. a big. Shooter not a big. There it is. All right, Ryan Bernoni. A pleasure as always. Please follow him at DangerCart on Twitter. Uh, one of the the best in the biz as far as Celtics analysis goes. And we will, I'm sure, have you back on here soon to dissect what should be uh, a very interesting final few months of the year. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on.